morning. morning. Y'all are a little more peppy than early service. They all just stared at me with blank looks. There, There is not a place I would rather be than right now here with you. I'm glad that you are here this morning. I've started every lesson bragging on a ministry that's happening here at Oldham Lane. And today I want to brag a little bit on our international ministry. Some of y'all may not realize that this is a ministry that we have going on. And uh, E.B. and Gene Dotson really were the visionaries that got this rolling here at Oldham Lane about a year and a half ago, and it's become a powerful thing. Now, I, I have to brag on our linchpin, Evelyn. Evelyn right now is next door translating the words that I'm saying, and I hope she's translating actually what I'm saying and, um, and sharing it. You, you'll notice we have some of our uh, Christians worshiping here that there's a language barrier, and Evelyn is next door translating the sermon. She sits through the Bible classes and translates those. Um, she reads from um, the Bible and the native tongue and makes it so that the gospel can be shared towards those who there's a language barrier with, and we're so grateful for Evelyn and for that ministry that's happening. Jeff Branch is coordinating the Bible classes, and so he's taking that on as one of his ministries to oversee, and it's, being a, it's a powerful thing that's happening. I am so grateful to be a part of a congregation that is serving the Lord in so many different ways, and that's one of them. Um, thank you to everyone who's a part of that ministry. We're in week five of a seven-week series, I Am Jesus, where we're looking at the I Am statements of Jesus that are shared with us in the Gospel of Mark. So I want you to open your Bibles today to John chapter 11. We're going to spend the whole sermon there. I have struggled this week um, as I've prepared uh, because the story surrounding this I am statement of Jesus is such a powerful, huge story. And, and it's so connected to the I am statement that I've, I've really had a hard time condensing it into a form that I feel like I can share with you in the time, amount of time that I have. The, the key phrase in this week's passage comes from verse 25. But as we look at the larger narrative around it, um, I find that it really can't be separated from everything else that we see. So I'm going to ask you all to do something with me today that's maybe a little bit out of the norm. But we're going to read this entire block of Scripture together. We're going to start in verse 1 and read all the way through verse 44. And I know that may challenge us a little bit because it's out of the norm. We're not going to do it every week. But I feel like it is really important for us to wrap our mind around the entirety of this text so that we can tease out um, a few points that I think will make a big impact on us. As we step into this text, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to work to empathize, to feel and think about what it would have been like to be the people in this story. What it would have been like to have these interactions with Jesus. And I want you to see and feel the tension that may have been there. Okay, So that's what we're looking for as we step into this text. What would it be like? If this were a movie, how would it feel? Let's start in John chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. 
Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for it has, he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, 
unbind him and let him go. Now, I remember when I was young, I got in trouble quite a bit. <clears throat> Some of y'all are nodding your heads because you watched me grow up, and you know that I needed to be in trouble quite a bit. At our house, we kind of had this process that we went through when it was time for me to get a whooping, and I was quite familiar with this process. Mom would take us into our bedroom and drop us off, and while she was getting us ready, Dad would go into their bedroom and he would wait. <clears throat> then when the time was right, Mom would come and knock on the door, and you knew what was about to happen, and you would be escorted through the house. It was like the walk of shame, and you would walk through the house into where Dad was waiting, and the conversation always went something like this. He would always tell me, you know this hurts me more than it hurts you. Hogwash. Um, and, and then it was always accompanied with another sort of phrase. He would, he would say, I know you don't understand, but I do this because I love you. And I didn't understand, but I do now. I, I needed that. And, and, and in my... Um, in my childlike brain, I, I didn't have the, the depth to comprehend exactly what dad was doing in that moment. As I look at this passage, there's a similar type of tension that arises. Um, it happens all the way back at the beginning, I think, in verses 5 and 6. And I think that there's a word here that we need to zero in on that's important and that sets the tone for the remainder of this entire passage and causes us to see it different. In fact, I have it highlighted in red there on the screen, and it's the word so. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. You know, it's easy to miss what's happening here. We read right over this word in this passage, but, but when we zero in on the so, and we think what that means, when we think of other ways that it could have been written, um, you could replace that with therefore. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, therefore. Another way you could say it is because Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. You see, these aren't two separate thoughts. They're meant to be read together. And it tells me that Jesus' delay was motivated by his love for Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Jesus doesn't feel the same sense of urgency that we expect him to in this passage. And if you're like me, when you read this and realize this, it makes you a little bit uncomfortable. If he loved Lazarus the way that he did, if he loved Mary and Martha, then why would Jesus willy-nilly just decide to prop his feet up and wait two extra days? The text gives us no indication that there was any extra circumstances that required him to do that. In fact, I think as we read the text, we see this was totally voluntary. This was intentional. Jesus deliberately chose to delay, and the reason was attached to his love. Just like we feel this tension, I believe they did as well. Because as we walk through this passage, three separate times, the same feeling that we have is brought up by the characters in this story. And the first one is brought up by Martha. I'm going to call it question number one. I know it's technically not a question, um, but I think it's an implied question. Martha's here, and while she doesn't come out and say it, I think she might have been feeling it. Jesus, is this really what love is? 
In her question, you'll see tremendous faith. She's confident that Jesus could have prevented this. And she's right, by the way. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, some interpret the last half of that verse, verse 22, as wondering if Jesus might be able to do something more. Maybe she's wondering if he could raise him from the dead, but I don't think that theory holds much water because Martha is the one later on in verse 39 who when Jesus gets ready to open the tomb, what does she say? Whoa, whoa, hold on. (laughs) He's been dead for four days. This is going to smell bad. Martha certainly wasn't expecting Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead. Instead, I think what we see happening here is Martha doing the same thing that we often do when we're faced with difficulties. She is demonstrating that despite her disappointment and struggles, that she trusts God with her intellect. This is where I often land when I hurt. I know God could have stopped it, and I see that he didn't. And so I do my best to intellectually keep my faith in him. It's how we feel, and it's when how we feel and what we think don't necessarily mesh. And I think that's what Martha was experiencing. In fact, even the remainder of her response seems to confirm this. I mean, Jesus circles around and he says, your brother will rise again in verse 23. And in verse 24, Martha's response is, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So we see Jesus, he takes this statement of faith that she makes and he confirms it. He says, it's going to be okay, Martha. He will rise again. And she intellectualizes it. She says, I, I know the teachings about end times. I know that there's going to be a day, someday in the future, when, when he's going to rise. In fact, I see in Martha's response almost a tinge of despair. I mean, maybe I'm reading a little bit of my own despair into it. I don't want to be unfair, but... But I feel it, and I see it, and I wonder if some of you ever feel this way. I mean, do you ever get frustrated with me teaching about that day in the future when everything's going to be better? And you say, yeah, but I feel a little empty right now. And I think that's where Martha was. Well, to this intellectual questioner, Jesus provides an intellectual response. In verse 25, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Jesus gives an intellectual response, but it's one that contains more than just a future hope. It's one that contains a present reality. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life for those who believe in me. Though they die, yet they shall live. And if they live, they will never die. Do you believe? Jesus is telling her that things aren't as they seem. In fact, he's essentially telling her to to quit looking to the abstract future and look to me. The picture I get is of of someone with a a pair of binoculars. And they, they have the binoculars up and they're scanning the horizon and they're straining. And they think they see this hope ahead. And they're, and they're looking and they're looking. And right there beside them is tapping them on the shoulder. Jesus saying, right here, look at me. I am the resurrection and the life. I am your future hope in present form. I am what you need. I'm the solution to the problem of death. I am the resurrection. 
And once you have been resurrected, you will never die. Jesus is calling her to put her faith in him as more than just a powerful miracle worker. Jesus is calling on her to recognize that he can answer her deepest needs. He's calling her to move from faith as an intellectual exercise to faith as a relationship. It's at this point in the narrative that Martha goes and gets Mary, and we see a very different interaction unfold. It's amazing how similar siblings can be and how different they can be at the same time. Y'all know my brother, y'all know that we are two very different people, and so were these sisters. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, we see another interesting interaction where uh, Martha is busy playing the host while Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him teach. Um, We see Martha responds with an intellectual question, and Mary responds with a with a, um, a, a question that's full of emotion. The whole situation is, is painted differently with question number two as we pick up in John eleven thirty two, 32, and we see Jesus, uh, Jesus approach, or Mary approach Jesus, and she collapses at his feet. And we just read, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And in the very next verse, we find that as she did this, she was weeping as were the Jews who were accompanying her. Now, while the individual response is very different, one full of emotion, you see that the question she asked, the implied question is the exact same. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It was filled with faith. It was filled with a knowledge of the power of Jesus. But there was an undertone of, really? Is this what love is, Jesus? Why? Just like Martha, um, she has the same question. You know, there's times when we just don't know what to say. There's times when our intellect runs out and we, we look at God and we don't understand and we hold fast to our faith in who He is, but we hurt and we see death and our soul is overwhelmed with what could have been. And we wrestle with that in our heads. Well, to this emotional question, Jesus provides a matching response. In verse 33, we read, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Now, I want to make note of something. Jesus didn't simply match his emotion to theirs. Just like Jesus didn't match his intellect to Martha's. He, there, was, there was more. There was a, a deeper element to Jesus' response. We often look in this passage and we see Jesus' tears and we assume that he was simply sad with them. And I don't believe that this is all that he felt. In fact, look at verse 33. We read that he was deeply moved in his spirit. And we read that he was greatly troubled. The phrase deeply moved in his spirit must be a little bit of a difficult one to translate. We often assume that means he was sad or sorrowful, but it really doesn't. It would be accurate to understand him as being indignant, maybe even an undertone of angry. Um, In other passages, it implies a a shuddering maybe towards evil. There was a little bit of a, a disgust even that Jesus felt as he looked at this situation. This emotion welled up from one of the enemy, and it caused him to be troubled. It caused him to be disturbed. It bothered him. 
And note that these feelings were motivated by their weeping. So there's something here that's not right. Something here that upset Jesus. Something here that Jesus did not like. The pain of death angers Christ. And I can imagine the fact that the resurrection could be standing right there and be missed by those around bothered him too. It's important to note that he didn't repeat his intellectual argument here. He didn't counter their their emotions with a truth. He simply wept with them. Though his, his tears were motivated by something much deeper. Remember, Jesus loved them. It's difficult to watch those who you love hurt. It's difficult when those who you love don't see you loving them. Am I right, parents? It's difficult when your love requires you to act in a way that causes momentary pain or suffering. So Jesus did what was the only appropriate response in this moment, and he wept with them. Which leads us directly to the third question. Probably the most direct of all of the questions is in John eleven thirty six and 37, and it comes from the crowd. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Note the difference in their question. They had rightly discerned that his indignant tears stemmed from his love. They understood that Jesus loved him, so they jumped then to an accusation. And both of these accusations seemed to undermine who Jesus was. This is the same feeling that we felt back at the beginning in chapters, verses 5 and verses 6. The same tension um, honestly put forward is this. If he loved them, why did he let this happen? I would argue that implied in their question is a question of his ability. Either he didn't love them or he couldn't save them. And both of those seem to undermine who Jesus was. This is the problem of evil in a nutshell, church. If, if God is powerful enough to prevent suffering and God is truly loving, then why does suffering exist? And we see at this question, Jesus' indignation rises up again. Because immediately after this, in verse 38, we read that he was moved again and he goes to the tomb. Jesus felt like this was unfair because Jesus did love them. That was established at the very beginning of our passage. Jesus could have stopped it. We know that from what we know about Christ and about God, but he did not stop it. And why? Because what he was about to do was better. And so it was time to get very practical and show this to them. And so Jesus prays, and he takes his intellectual response, and he takes his emotional response, and he channels them into something very tangible. In verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the man who had died came out, and his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Four days, dead and buried. And Jesus brings him to life. And it is at this moment that the intangible becomes tangible. This isn't just about end times, Martha, Jesus demonstrates. This is about now. 
This isn't the joy-destroying final blow that you think it is, Mary. That was a farce. There is something more. And all of you onlookers, you need to understand, this isn't because of my lack of power. In fact, this was because of my love. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Church, this narrative is so close to us. We start feeling this same tension at the beginning when he lingers, and we want to ask the same questions. We want to ask these same questions as we navigate our own experiences in our everyday lives. We say, but God, why? But God, couldn't it have been different? God, is it your lack of power, or or is it your lack of love? Which one is it? With each question, the tension builds. And then Jesus answers, this is better. You can't see it now, but I am about to love you so much. I am about to show you a glimpse of God, the God that you serve. I'm going to believe you from belief, bring you from belief in the abstract to belief in something real. I'm going to show you that I am the resurrection. Your answer to the tension, your answer to the difficulty is a relationship with Christ. I am the resurrection. I am the escape, he says. I love you. Death is not final for those who believe. For those who believe, death is the gateway to resurrection, which is the pathway to eternal life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you? I think this is the real question for us today. Do you believe in the resurrection from death to life everlasting? You know, we can grapple with the question of why. We can wrestle with the thought or idea that it could have been prevented. But ultimately, we have to rest on these realities. That God loves us. That he offers resurrection. And that he offers eternal life. There is something eternal that exists beyond death. You will continue to live because of Jesus Christ, who allows you to resurrect and persist eternally. You know, the miracle of Lazarus was to show God's glory. It showed God's power. It displayed the reality of what God was capable of doing. It, it, it demonstrated the dominion that God had over everything physical, even over death itself. But what happened to Lazarus? is not what Jesus was talking about with Martha. Lazarus would die again. They would experience this pain again. Mary would die, and Martha would die. Even Jesus would die. So we cry out, and we weep, and we feel pain, and we wonder why. And then Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I do. And this hope is a deeper one. And the glory it brings to God is indescribable. Why do we experience death? It's because God loves us. And that's a hard thing to say out loud. 
but it's through death that we see and understand the power of the resurrection. And in seeing the power of the resurrection, we see the glory of God. And through a relationship with Jesus, we come to learn and understand that this glory and promise is for us as well. Don't leave today separated from Christ. In Him is eternal life. He is the bread of life. We can eat and live forever. He's the light of life. He he illuminates the pathway to peace. He makes this life worth living. He's the door. He lets us go in and out of the sheepfold so we have all that we need to live an abundant life. He's the good shepherd. He loves us and provides protection for us. And He is the resurrection and the life. He loves you. And your relationship with Him is what makes eternal life possible. If you believe, then we need to baptize you into his name. At baptism, we die to our old self and we're raised to a newness of eternal life held with Christ Jesus. So if you believe, let us baptize you today. If you are interested but have questions, we would love to study with you. And if you have drifted, then we stand here as a family, ready to partner with you and bear your burdens. Whatever your need might be, we invite you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.